Osiris. You wonder, is country music business, radio industry, whatever they are, are they intentionally just having these spots for just a couple women and girls, or what is it? You know, they pitch you against one another is what they do. It's not the women doing it to one another. Hi, this is Maggie Rose. You're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. I was a high woman and a mother from my youth. For my children, I did what I had to do. My family left Honduras when they killed the Sandinistas. We followed our coyote through the dust of Mexico. Every one of them except for me survived, and I am still alive. I was a healer. I was gifted. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Salute the Songbird. I'm your host, Maggie Rose, and I hope that you all are all well on your way to getting the rest and relaxation that you deserve for this holiday season. I certainly know I'm going to take many, many naps over this break before we hit the road once again for our last couple of shows for the year, which is just insane to even say. We kicked off the Have a Seat tour in July, and now it's coming to an end, but fear not, 22. We have a lot of really fun shows planned, so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that, and come join us for our New Year's Eve show in St. Louis. There's still some tickets left, and it's going to be a really fun evening, but let's get to this week's guest, because it's very appropriate for the holidays. I'm talking about Amanda Shires, who is a creative force of the highest nature, and she just released an album called For Christmas, so we're going to talk a lot about that and all things holidays, but she's a Grammy-winning singer, songwriter, and violinist, and after already accomplishing so much in her career, her love of words and poetry compelled her to pursue an MFA in creative writing, which she got from Sewanee University of the South, and she's also a painter. We talked about how she thinks of and approaches songwriting, how she found time to get her MFA while balancing music and family. She and her husband, also Grammy-winning, and a songwriter and artist is Jason Isbell, and they're raising their daughter, Mercy, while also balancing their respective impressive music careers. We talk about the challenges and rewards of motherhood. She tells me about becoming an activist and the moment when she decided to start her own band, which became The High Women. She is so thoughtful and gentle, but she is also a force. So this new record she released is called For Christmas. It's produced by her best friend, the incredible Lawrence Rothman. We talk a little bit about connecting our perception of the holidays to the reality of how they really are, which she does so beautifully on this new record. So without further ado, let's talk to Amanda Shires. And we'll come back again and again I 
think music was the first and my best way of communicating. And it was outwards at first. I became interested in the violin at an early age, I think, because I didn't have much of a vocabulary for emotions and talking about your feelings wasn't really a thing that went on a whole lot in my family. Especially, I think it's generational, probably for them, but I don't ask too many questions. So I gravitated towards music where I could express myself in a way that felt more honest than the words that I had access to. Words do seem to fail oftentimes where music can just color that expression in the right way. And words a lot too, but that takes a lot of time and years and study, you know. And I didn't have that. So at first I just did music, the sonic landscapes. Which are so beautiful. But I was very inspired in researching you to see that you pursued a master's in fine arts. How did you find the resolve to pursue that? Because you have to find the time. And this is at Sewanee, the University of the South. And you also have to venture into that vulnerability of this new challenge after having mastered songwriting for so long. Ha, mastering songwriting. M mastering, um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times when it comes to me and what I do and how much I do, when I get fully invested in something, I have to find my own license to do things. I guess that's a really vague way of me saying for me to feel confident and fully competent in an area, I go as far as I can and then keep going with the studies. And I think some folks go, go about getting their feelings of assuredness and confidence from their peers' praise and, you know, reading reviews and whatnot. But I find it on my own and myself and learning, I think, really. Not to say that the other is bad. It's just if I want to get into a debate about a word, I better have some kind of knowledge about a word. And if I want to be able to get in a room with a group of male songwriters, I sometimes feel like that my master's in fine arts and concentration on blank verse give me an extra weight in the old arm for sucking it to them. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What was your one of, I'm sure there were so many, one of the biggest discoveries you made in your exploration in that space? Poems and songs are completely different animals. There are poetics and songs and songwriting, and poetry isn't exactly what everybody thinks it is all the time. There's also a lot more I say it like this sometimes in my brain. I, th I think when you're making a song, you have a lot more colors in your color box than you do when you're writing a poem. You've got words and you got the page on a poem. And with the song, you can do a whole lot with just the bed and the music and juxtaposing that or not, or capturing an emotion or not. There's just so many little twists and turns you can do with the song not only visual but audio and i mean she's so heavy has like seven words mm. i want you i want you so bad she's so heavy yeah that's eight words
and you get a whole lot out of the music of that song. And there's poems that can do something like that, but the length of it is different, you know, where you can listen to She's So Heavy for eight, however long that song is, eight minutes. And you can't think on a poem that's that short for 800 years, I guess, but it's sure. not like it keeps going, you know. And oppositely or conjunctively or simultaneously or just a list of words, with songs you can stop and rewind and fast forward and play or listen over and over. And also it keeps going, but there's the words on the page in a poem, which you're listening to by yourself in your head and you're just looking at it. And you can pause whenever you want or burn the thing up. It's kind of hard to burn a song up. This is how I talk about music. <laughs> I love it. Saying that they're two different beasts. I can understand that. Like which one feels more vulnerable? And I think every situation would demand a different answer. Yeah, whatever's serving your art at the time, because that's the highest archy. Right. You have more tools in the box with music to maybe substantiate the word why you chose that, but... I have a lot of whole tools in each set. It's just that mm -hmm. you don't get afforded a lot of, you know, you're doing charcoals. Sorry. I don't want to offend any painters. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you are. This is Well, you are a painter too, right? Yourself? I mean... I'm studying painting currently. I, I don't call myself a painter yet, but I mean, some people call me a painter. I asked John Prine once when we were going overseas together. I said, when did you start filling out your immigration card with the word songwriter? And he said, well, after I quit being a mailman. Said, <laughs> so when do you know when to start doing that? Right. <laughs> yeah. What's the markation there? That's so cool that you've had such proximity to so many fantastic people in your career, but you are their peers. You're, you facilitate a lot for some really wonderful people. And I think that that's kind of the hardest thing to do, even in your reference to yourself as I don't call myself a painter yet, or I'm sure that that humility has always been a part of who you are, but you know, my husband and I are thinking about having kids and just how do you even factor that in? How do you pursue a master's in fine arts? How do you make time for that? How do you make time for you know, your daughter, Mercy, who I know has inspired a lot of your ideas that you have in your music or the motivation for making them? The idea of it is really this. I started my master's and then had to take a break for a year. Nobody really ever told me, like, even my mom, she's a single mom, and you know, just me and her and my sister, never expressed how hard it was to have a child, you know, and how hard it was, especially in the first year, year and a half. And so that little break was, you know, something I had to do, but it was something I've thought about a lot, how a lot of times just folks don't talk about how actually hard it is to have a newborn child and I went to baby classes and stuff, but I didn't know that the baby can't sleep when you're trying to watch your Netflix. I figured it out, though. <laughs> she was just watching Netflix last night before I had her. <laughs> but um, no, it's just, I like to go to sleep on my own terms and then I had to figure out you got to sleep when she sleeps and all that, you know, there's a whole rearranging that happens. And then there's the whole motherhood is just, 
so full of guilt. You get so full of guilt about everything. And you're trying to make the decision that's the best for you and your child and your family and all this. And the reward is worth it, though, you know. I mean, I wouldn't change it, but I would have wished somebody would have explained to me a few things because my mom didn't move up here till she was like two or three. So I was just like up here by myself, like, I don't know what to do. Looking at YouTube and Jason are trying different ideas out. But there's a beauty to that too. As for touring, that's really hard because when I first had Mercy, I was still touring in a van. And most people don't know this about me, but my big fear is dying in a car wreck. You know, like I think that's probably the way I'm going to go because statistically I'm always in a car. I'm not trying to bring the mojo down here or the vibe down, but I wasn't going to take her in the van. I just couldn't. And I know lots of people do that and I applaud all that, but I made the decision that I was not going to do that. And then there's that whole, am I manifesting this? And I was like, definitely don't bring her in the van. Mm-hmm. So Jason would take mercy on his tours. And then there's a whole part where you have to seek out and interview and find caregivers. Because I learned early on that the promoters were not good at babies, generally. Then I eventually got into a bus and not quite enough room, turns out, for a bunch of baby stuff. Mm -hmm. And Jason has two buses. So she goes with Jason. And then I go meet him after my tours are over in between. And it works really well because we have this kind of a, like a philosophy that no amount of great parenting makes up for an unhappy mother. So we just operate on the thing where we put our own life air masks on first, and then we're good for the family, you know, kind of thing. And it works really well for us this way. It also helps me keep balanced as far as how long I go on the road, because I don't know about you, but I could go out there and stay out there forever. But I can't and I won't now. I feel like I understand every piece of it. And a lot of those challenges are not deterrents, but they're one of the reasons that we keep delaying it. It just feels unfeasible, but it is. You figure it out. I mean, Carrie Ann, she has two out there on the road with her right now. Bells and Rope and Sarah Lee Guthrie and hell, Shooter Jenny was raised in a bus. He's doing great. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing awesome. I mean, why not? I mean, I wish that I had had more musical exposure, but I guess there's the other end of the spectrum, being like a toddler on a bus. Did you see Mercy starting to show inclinations of wanting to become a musician herself? I mean, she doesn't play anything like as if she's super interested in it, you know? And I think that's fine. I let her lead all that. But also at the same time, I didn't decide really what my passion was till I was 10. Still very early. I knew, but the whole time everybody's like, you got to have a backup plan. And I was like, right. oh, okay, I'll have a backup right. plan. It's torturing me. What kind of lit the fire under your ass? I want to talk about just your activism with the high women, with all the women that you've been reaching out to over the last couple of years to collaborate with you and just how generous you are with your space on stage with other women in particular. Like what was that breaking point 
for you, realizing that you had to start some initiative that had a face and a name? Well, it kind of happened slowly, but the first band I joined was the Texas Playboys, and everybody was equal on that stage, you know. And so I compare every band and every act I've ever been in to that naturally. And I didn't see the thing where there was a difference in men and women and treatment and all that until later. And the activism part, you notice things are wrong and you don't know what to do or how to fix things. It's just stuff people don't really talk about at risk of losing what little you already had, I think, or becoming somebody that they just pushed to the sidelines and wouldn't let play in the game. I had the idea, though, for the high women after Mercy was born when I was riding in my van and listening to the radio because my CD player and my aux cord broke, but I was listening and I just wasn't hearing any women's voices or any really that I identified with on a long drive. And I started taking notes, you know, and then calling radio stations. And then on one of those long stretches, I thought to myself, I'm going to start a band called The High Women. In 2016, I had that idea. And then I let it sit for a minute because it's, it's one of those ideas where it was, I need to get my concept together and like the subject matter and everything kind of where I can talk about it in a way that kind of made sense or was linear because I'm not a linear speaker or like a communicator. So uh, I, I was just formulating and thinking and writing things down. And I finally told Dave Cobb about it. And he loved the idea. He has a daughter too. And then during 2017 and beyond, here we are trying to continue as long as the conversation needs to be had, which it still does. And the part about sharing space and everything is, has always been really easy for me. I think probably it's because I started out as a side person. I was a person you would call and I would be the person that could play the violin for you or sing some harmony or you want me to strum some on a song, whatever you needed. I would do that and I wouldn't get in the way and I would do a good job and I'd be reliable. And I think that's why, because every everybody that I know that's a side person sort of has that let's work together. There's all kinds of room for everybody, and there's not a lot of ego that I've found in the side player world. So when it came to trying to figure out the other part, you wonder, is country music, business, radio, industry, whatever they are, are they intentionally just having these spots for just a couple women and girls, or what is it? So... You know, they're, yes, they're, they pitch you against one another is what they do. It's not the women doing it to one another. So I didn't see a lot of fights against any kind of inclusivity where I was standing or where I'm standing. I just do. But I know there's people like that because I've met a few of those leaders, the band leaders, the ones that very focused on themselves. And I don't really hang out with those people. <laughs> Sure. I saw a tweet that High Women tweeted out on your birthday, and they called you our healer, our founder, 
are high woman. And I loved the word healer. How do you think that they meant that? I'm a good listener, you know, maybe I think of probably something to do with that. I think listening goes a good far away in, in helping anybody and doing anything. And, you know, have a tendency to recommend stretches if your back hurts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or or um, some supplements you can take for random things. My mom was a nurse, so maybe I get it genetically. <laughs> right. Listening is so healing, though. It's just what we were talking about, about why people gravitate toward collaboration. And the thing about the high women, too, you know, in country radio being kind of lonely from the outside, I never operated really in that world. But I always thought, man, how lonely that'd be if you go into the award shows and you're the only girl in the front two rows that's an artist, you know. I want to talk about your personality and the silliness that you are able to balance with your sincerity, with your inclusivity, with some of the themes that you talk about in your music, with the problem and just how you lend a hand to people who are disenfranchised, your participation on Georgia Blue, which was the album with covers from Georgia artists, all the proceeds benefited Black Voters Matter, Fair Fight, and Georgia Stand Up. Like There is a heaviness in a lot of what you do, and it's wonderful that you are present and fighting and vocal for all of these issues. But like, as I'm talking to you, people can't see you. You have a hat that has like cute little ears on it. And my antennas. Yes. They're, and they, and... they come off for it when you need headphones. Oh, see? Awesome. good. See, right now I'm picking up signals for different songs and arts and things. I think a lot of this whole experience of living is heavy. And I think about it in a dark versus light kind of way, you know, and balance, you know it's not super healthy to be a negative Nelly or Nancy all the time. And it also doesn't help inspire joy and fun. And in a lot of ways I like to, as Ron Padgett would say, dress in a way that pleases myself and others at the same time. Mm -hmm. And also I do do a lot of serious and dive into the depths of the dark a whole lot. And I think that is the nature of the clown you see here. Um, the sad clown looks like me but uh, the world is fun too and I love comedy but it's also like comedy in the old sense the tragedy of it too oh, how time with crystal clear Hey everybody, I hope that you are driving safely home or maybe on an airplane and enjoying some podcasts and catching up on all these Salute the Songbird episodes. 
But I just want to thank you all for being supporters of this podcast, of my music. It really is the greatest gift I could ask for for Christmas all year round. We've missed you so much and it feels really nice to wrap up 2021 in such a different way from how 2020 ended, having a full tour under our belts and just being able to have been filled up by seeing you guys. It just makes making music so much more easy to do because you all inspire us and it's just lovely to have this rapport with you. So thank you for your time and your support. Talking about Amanda Shires now, I just found, speaking of inspired, it's so cool that she's an artist who's always exploring how to deepen the mastery of her craft, going back to school just because she loves poetry and she loves words, even down to how they're spelled and the origin of those words. I mean, that curiosity and that enthusiasm for doing what she does is really cool to see. And my takeaway is that we are always students, no matter how advanced we are at a certain skill or how long we've been doing something. In fact, I spoke with her and it inspired me to reconnect with my guitar teacher, Ellen Britton. So now I'm taking guitar lessons regularly, especially since we won't be out on the road as much, but I kind of owe that little kick in the ass to Amanda Shires. So go be a student again. Let's get back to Amanda. Happy holidays, everybody. The McCrary sisters on this Christmas album that you've just done are so bombastically powerful. The McCrary sisters, when they walk into a room, I just got the goosebumps and I hadn't even heard them sing a note. But when you engage with them, they've got kind of the same darkness, silliness thing I've got. But we were able to just immediately go to jokes and making each other laugh. So I didn't need to encourage them too hard to have fun with it, which was my goal. And watching them figure out parts was was like a, a master craft in writing harmonies and harmony parts down to if you're going to choose a ooh or a la or a ha or an ah, I was just, I was just like it's that much intention. It was so, so awesome the way it all relates to the meter of the song and all that. It was so cool. Lyrically, just so awesome. I just kept writing down different lines that would go by. First of all, Larry David needs to hear this immediately because you're asking for, like, what, what would you sum it up as? I say it's like the opposite day version of all I want for Christmas is you, and you're making it more just about what you want. Maybe as an individual, like kind of fuck everybody else, this is what I want for Christmas. Exactly. You got that one right. <laughs> 
and I definitely would like a date with Larry David and I'm not trying to make it an intense date or anything you know it could be just an awkward coffee or I could just go to his house for a little while and Whatever it is, it will be awkward, and that's his fault, not yours. <laughs> I just want to go to his house and see what towels he's got in there. <laughs> <laughs> Ratty towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the lines you had on Gone for Christmas was, I want my own radio station. And I want to know what Amanda Shires would play. Well, Amanda Shires would play a melting pot of music. Would be everything from Giveon to Michael Salgado to Prince to Tom Petty to Maggie Rose to... Jason Isbell and all the usual suspects, but then a bunch of other ones you wouldn't probably think on, like La Mafia or Molly Drake, Nina Simone. It'd just be, how did Amanda Shires get a radio station and what the hell is happening? (laughs) Oh, everybody would love it. Lawrence Rothman, tell me about y'all working together. I met Lawrence Rothman during the pandemic in the darkest period of the pandemic for me when I was just not finding any joy in anything really like down to where I wasn't even playing my instruments really just sitting and wallowing around and the unknown and ugliness of it all and I have to first say that John Prine back in the day took a chance on me when I sent a song his way. And he liked it and said, okay, you can come open for me. But um, Lawrence sent a song. So I've always been open like that. I'll, I'll listen to any song that comes into the emails. So Lawrence, for example, sent a song and said, can you listen to this and maybe sing with me on it? Did I just call them a he? Sorry. Lawrence, them, they. A week later, they sent a follow-up, and then I listened to it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I can sing on this. This sounds great. This is before I started learning Pro Tools. So I went down into Sound Emporium, you know, COVID tested and masked and all that, and I put the headphones on, and I was going to sing on it, and then I heard the most glorious string arrangement I've ever heard, and I said, holy shit, I love this string arrangement. I wonder who did it, and I sang my little parts. And then on the high one, I put a little effect on it because I don't like the idea of somebody taking my high parts and not mixing them right. Mm. So I was was like, they're probably not going to use this, but I'll put it on there and cover it up with something. And if they need it, they can call me and ask me and we'll talk about how it's allowed to be used. So that conversation did happen. But after I took the effect off the voice, I was talking to them about the string arrangement and they they wrote that string arrangement and had the players come. I was like, this is a wonderful production of Thrash the West, that song. And like I guess a week later, we started tossing back this idea on text about a song for them. And it was pretty easy to go beyond the surface. 
you know, if you can write a song with somebody over, over text that you don't know very well, then there's a connection, you know. And then I started thinking, I said, one of these days, maybe we should record something together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. I said, it'd be a trial, though, because I've been in the music business a while. Not all relationships are good. And we um, <laughs> set up a date in Nashville, and I really counted on it being terrible. So I brought my worst ideas, my worst songs in. And they were like, this is great, <laughs> but like, you're actually making them sound cool. Okay, <laughs> okay, let's do this. Let's make some records. And then through all that, we were making music, and I called them my best friend. And I assume in public they call me theirs, but I'm their best friend. <laughs> well, how sweet, sweet, oh, sweet it was It's really wonderful because they're really a great listener and great at feelings. And, you know, they'd rather make a clover chain necklace than watch sports ball. And also their voice is very deep and very loud at some point. So if you need to get a message across that somebody apparently can't hear the frequency of Amanda Shire's voice, I'll tell <laughs> and Lawrence will go, rawr, rawr, rawr. And suddenly everybody's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a good friend to have for sure. It's quiet right now The sky has gone dark A sink full of dishes Laundry to start A mess in the living room There's wine all over the couch My sisters aren't speaking Who's crying now? It's always Christmas around here it's always Christmas around here. One song that I think does really parallel your duality as a person is Christmas Around Here, which is a pretty somber take on Christmas, but it's still so funny. And so I felt like a voyeur almost in your house talking about eggnog, if that's your thing. And the bread is burnt, it always is, and sisters fighting and questionable tattoos, Dave's ass backward views. And it just was, that's family. And I love how you use Christmas as the framework for it, but like, there's nothing remarkable about this being the reality. This is what it's like all year. I like die hard. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or eyes wide shut. Not exactly like that, but yeah, die hard. You're like, just the suggestion of Christmas lights is the only thing that is actually festive. how a lot of people feel i think they think like all this ceremony around christmas is just dressing up a situation that is what it is this is our family and we still want to be with these people and together 
and yeah, it's having not as long honestly. as you guys plan. Like you always plan, oh, I'm going to stay there for a week. Don't do that to yourself. Just stay for a day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> but even at the end, you're all on the microphone and I hear like your bandmates going meow, 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 like just yeah, funny, yeah. And then silly Lawrence noises. Is Jewish, so Lawrence <laughs> likes to do prayers. I mean, it's not because they're Jewish, but you know, there's a little Jewish something or another in that part. Love your parents, your brothers, your sisters, and all your loved ones. Happy New Year. Yay. That was our first time on the we mic did. together. Yeah. That was fun. That was fun. That was cool. <laughs> that was fun. Landmark achievement right there. That's a wrap. You can keep up with Amanda on her socials at Amanda Pearl Shires on Instagram and on Twitter, Santa Amanda. And of course, make sure to give her new album for Christmas a listen. Bring on that holiday cheer. And to keep up with me, my music, and my touring calendar, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at I am Maggie Rose. Come see us out on our last couple shows for 2021. All those dates are at MaggieRoseMusic.com. And get exclusive Salute the Songbird content along with new music, live stream concerts, and more by following me on With the Band. I wish you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and safe travels to everyone going home to see family. Salute the Songbird is brought to you by Osiris Media. It's hosted by Maggie Rose. Produced by Austin Marshall, Maggie Rose, Kirsten Cluthy, and Brad Stratton. Editing by Justin Thomas at Revoice Media. Music by Maggie Rose. Show logo by Premier Music Group. Graphics by Catherine Boyles. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening. And to close out the show, here's Blame It on the Mistletoe by Amanda Shires from her new record, For Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Just one-sided, then you came by Maybe reindeers really 
call it what it is or what it was. The best Merry Christmas when you showed up. Osiris.